Hello, and welcome to The Identity Project, a podcast about what helped to form my identity and brought me to be who I am today. I'm your host, Rebecca Solomon, and I'm excited to get vulnerable with you and break down some of the key components of my upbringing, my childhood that led into adulthood, all of what makes me, me. A huge part of my identity at my core is my addiction to drugs and alcohol. I've read many studies that show it can be attributed to both my genetics and my environment. And while for the genetic side, researchers still have a long way to go, studies have shown that the heritability of alcohol dependence is estimated to range between 40 and 65%. I've learned through my family history that it has played a major role in many of my family members' lives for many generations. Although it doesn't manifest in every single person in my family tree, its existence is very apparent. That being said, the nurture side of it is also important to point point out. There is a really great movie called Pleasure Unwoven about addiction and how use over time can create pathways in the brain that didn't exist before or deepen ones that have already existed. In short, even if I didn't have it in my genes, my environment and behavior could have very well led me to the same place. Good news is that even though I have it in my genes for alcoholism and addiction, I'd like to believe due to epigenetics that I also have it in my genes, the ability to get and stay sober. My uncle who got sober at age 35 also has 35 years of sobriety. My grandfather, who drank alcoholically for many years, got and stayed sober until he died. Many other family members far back in my family tree have had similar experiences, and I only know of one who ultimately died from her addiction. I uh, struggled with my addiction and alcoholism for over 10 years, and I am happy to say I am sober now myself. And I think my environment plays a little bit more of a role than the genes do, especially in getting sober, but both are notable influences. If I had to put a number on it, I'd probably say it's maybe a 60 to 40 relationship, 60 being the environment and 40 being genetic. Sometimes I wish I had known about the history of addiction in my family before it had gotten a hold of me, but... Since my genes aren't the only factor, I'll never really know if that would have made a difference. Events in my childhood, some of the relationships that I had, and certain traumas have also been a factor. My conclusion is that it's no one thing that made me the way I am. Addiction is a disease that, like many other diseases, will be with me for the rest of my life, and I can't alter my genes or the paths I've created in my brain over time, but... I have found a way to overcome and live with it. I can also use this information to help others who struggle with the same disease, and I've been able to do so already, speaking at rehabs and treatment centers, telling my story in hopes of helping them. I meet with other alcoholics and addicts, and I share my experience so they know they aren't alone, and that there's a way out of the fog of addiction. God forbid my nieces and nephews end up struggling with any related challenges, but at least I know I can educate them on our family history, let them know that we carry the gene, and help them through their own addictions should it ever get to that. Their choices ultimately will determine their paths, but 
making educated choices sets them up for success. And I hope to do that for them. Who I am today, my identity, now will get to play a part in the nature, the nurture aspect of those around me. And for that, I'm very grateful. My mental health has also been influenced by both nurture and nature and has played a huge role in who I am today and who I've been throughout my life in different stages. All the challenges I've dealt with, being bipolar, having anxiety and ADHD, have helped me become a stronger and more capable, resilient woman. It took 15 years from my first diagnosis to get properly diagnosed, properly medicated, and find a doctor and therapist that I love and trust. But I kept trying, and eventually I did it, no matter how long it took. By nature, my family has an extensive history of mental health issues, some diagnosed and or treated, whether by medication or therapy of some sort, some not. Sweeping it under the rug and pretending it doesn't exist is, in my opinion, the worst way to handle it. That was my environment growing up until a mediator and family counselor during my parents' divorce told them that I should see a doctor about my depression. My mental health was still ignored or improperly cared for for many years and as an adult I didn't know how to handle it as I had never learned. I turned alcohol and drugs as my solution and it made everything worse. I nurtured my mental health in the unhealthiest of ways. Finally, after many doctors and therapists giving up countless times and going off my meds and refusing to go back to those doctors, lots of trial and error, and eventually getting sober, I was able to find a psychiatrist who cared enough to ask the right questions, a therapist that I stuck with for three years now who has helped me through several life-altering breakthroughs and have found a balance in my life beyond anything that 11-year-old me could have ever imagined. My physical health has also been affected by my using and drinking. When I was using drugs, often opiates, I lost weight to a very dangerous point. I didn't eat regularly. I was constantly getting sick. I wouldn't go to the doctors unless I was looking for drugs. I didn't exercise or even shower regularly. When I was drinking heavily, I gained weight and ate almost only junk food. My liver was not happy and I landed myself in the hospital multiple times for dehydration and alcohol poisoning. I didn't really care about my physical health in both stages of my addiction, nor my mental health, which affected my physical health as well. I got sick constantly. I never slept. So, yeah, needless to say, my physical health was not at its peak. Uh, Fast forward to today, I am sober. I eat a balanced diet most of the time. Um, I take medication for my mental health, um, non-addictive substances that I know I won't abuse. My psychiatrist knows that I'm in recovery and we work together on that as well as my therapist and I. I sleep eight hours a night most nights. Um, I try to, but it's definitely a huge change from what I did before, which was often staying up all night and 
if I did sleep, it was maybe two to four hours a night. When I would get manic, it was nothing. <laughs> um, so there's definitely been a huge change in that. Um, I'm hygienically clean and healthy, um, which is a huge change and has made a huge difference in my life. And I exercise at least semi-regularly. Um, so the difference is night and day. And the two main factors affecting my overall health have been my mental health and my addiction and sobriety. Another huge part of my identity is dictated by the cognitive aspect when it comes to the way I think I'm a bit both an analytical thinker and an intuitive thinker. I overanalyze just about everything, but I also trust my own intuition in the end. I always have a gut feeling first. I acknowledge it, weigh all the options, analyze the situation, and then I usually end up going with the gut instinct. My conclusion is that my initial thought was correct. If I had to choose which way of thinking I lean more heavily towards, I'd say analytical because I do a lot of overthinking. Um, Moving into education, it's interesting for me to think back on. I was homeschooled through fifth grade, um, having my mother somewhat of a teacher, my siblings also kind of teaching me and a lot of self-taught child-directed learning. When I got into middle school, I went to a charter school and it was heavily teacher directed. There were no electives or individuality whatsoever. We even wore uniforms. In high school, I went to a private Christian school and it was also mostly teacher directed. Um, I did get lucky with a music teacher of mine who gave me a bit more freedom to roam around, play with the guitar on my own terms. There was a piano in the chapel and he would even let me use it during class time to mess around, even though that wasn't part of the curriculum. Um, That was the only class I felt was somewhat child-directed and I I definitely felt lucky to have taken him, um, a class with him. And now it's time to talk about the super fun stuff. And if you couldn't hear the sarcasm in my voice, just know it's there. Um, the The psychosocial elements of my identity. Parenting by my dad was 100% authoritarian. He was controlling, extremely strict and raised us in a very cult-like environment. Um, There was a lot of psychological, emotional, and spiritual abuse, as well as some physical. Parenting from my mother was very permissive when he wasn't around. Um, When he was, she just let him take the reins, but when he wasn't around, she just kind of let us do whatever we wanted. She also was slightly uninvolved for long periods of time when she'd get overwhelmed because there were six of us um, and she was homeschooling most, all of us at, um, at like up until I was in fifth grade, my older siblings all the way through high school. Um, And as a result of her being uninvolved, my older siblings often took on the parenting roles. And so, Fast forward a little bit, um, both parents were grossly uninvolved while they, um, while they were going through their divorce. 
And that started when I was about 11 and um, moving into middle school. And so I was no longer homeschooled. My parents were basically out of the picture. Um, I was, you know, dragged through that divorce for about nine years um, due to the cult-like religious beliefs of my father. Um, So that definitely affected the way that they parented me. Um, You know, they they kind of gave up on parenting me completely when I was about 15. Due to a fight over child support, they were, you know, arguing over custody. And since I was at the age where I could choose who I lived with, they started trying to be more superficially involved to kind of cater to what I wanted to convince me to move and live with them. Um, But because they had stopped parenting me so many years earlier, they quickly realized that they couldn't really try and start back up now at this point and I had started working and providing myself for myself at 15 by 16 I was working two jobs and juggling school and sports along with that all of my siblings had moved on moved out of the house by this point um and we were all different ages through this whole experience. So we all had different perspective, different, different perspectives and experiences, um, through all of these phases that my parents were going through. Um, so we all found different ways to cope. Um, I became a workaholic and then an alcoholic and a drug addict. Um, I also struggled with my mental health through a lot of that. And as a result of the uninvolved parenting it went ignored and untreated for many years um as far as where i lie on the introvert extrovert continuum i am mostly extroverted but i'm i also have a lot of social anxiety which affects that i get nervous and i tend to try and overcompensate for that so i don't come off as nervous and as a result it often comes off as or comes out as me talking too much and too loudly, um, which people think makes me more of a social butterfly, but really I'm just a chameleon trying to blend in. Um, So yeah, I, I do have days where I am introverted and I need time alone to recuperate, but most of the time I get my energy from being around people. Um, I've been called an ambivert by some people, but I'm, I think I'm actually more of an omnivert. The difference is omniverts can assume the personality traits of both an introvert and an extrovert. Um, an omnivert exists somewhere between being an extrovert and an introvert at the same time. So I kind of switch from one to the next depending on my mood or the environment that I'm in versus an omnivert ambivert (laughs) um is kind of neither one it's just kind of a a down the center line of both of them um an omnivert doesn't typically adapt to situ to situations easily um where an amnivert can lean into each moment and adapt to what what the situation requires um they score them like a mid on the midpoint of the introvert extrovert scale at any given time. 
um, where an omnivert can, they can't maintain a balance. So I can't be both introvert and extrovert all of the time. I, I choose one or the other. Um, I also don't demonstrate as much emotional stability, whereas an amnivert um, typically is more emotionally stable. Um, and they also think and act and behave and converse in a consistent way without too many variations, while omnivert, uh, in my case, I, I show not much consistency in my communication, my behavior, and my thinking ability. It's a little bit all over the place. Um, but I've learned, you know, over the years to cope and deal with my personality and who I was and who I am today. And there's been a lot of growth. And I think the reason I am who I am today is because of everything leading up to this point. Um, so I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, I'm glad to have had these experiences and I'm glad I get to reflect back on them and hopefully help other people who have gone or are going through some of the same things. Um, and I'm making the best of it today. So yeah, um, that is all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening and letting me be vulnerable with you. I know it was kind of a lot. Um, <laughs> I hope you have a great week and I look forward to doing another episode again soon.